Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about today a film that I've wanted to see for ages. Playtime. Yes. Directed uh, by Jacques Tati. Yes, I thought I had seen it. But actually, I was confusing it with uh, Monsieur Hulot's holiday. Well, Monsieur Hulot appears in this. Well, Jacques Tati is Monsieur Hulot. Exactly. So, uh, so you realise like an hour in, or maybe half an hour in, that you hadn't actually seen this before. That's right. And at, and at that point, you went, well, I'm not really enjoying this. And yes. then you started to laugh at stuff. Yes. Um, and it is a comedy. It yeah. is a comedy, though, you know, I still have kind of mixed feelings about it, really. Mm. I mean, I think it's a film that does make a lot of demands on the viewer, you know, and I... This is one of the reasons I've never watched it before, because I always knew I would need the occasion to sit down and not pause it, not do anything. I would hope, I would have hoped it would have come to a cinema. Yeah. Then it would have been, all the control would have been taken away from me. I knew that I would never be able to watch it, but I was doing something else. No. Because I knew it's, it's visually demanding, it's visually rich, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm glad I saw it with you, because I think I would have turned it off after the first 15 or 20 minutes. Right. Do you yeah. think it improves after that and you would have missed out? Um, I think it does improve. I think it's really interesting. I didn't find it fun, even though I laughed a lot and it was entertaining. You know, I think the absence of a plot, really, <laughs> and the absence of characterization and the leisurely pace, you know, it, it, it was not... I mean, it was not a difficult watch. But it was not an easy watch either. Yeah, the things that draw you into a film, which are those things, which are characterization and story, mm. you know, they're very loose here. Yeah. So, so you thought you'd seen it before and then realised you probably haven't. Or yes. if you have, it's a long forgotten memory. That's right. So what was your, what did you think you knew about it before going in? Well, I, actually, I think I was confusing it with Monsieur Lowe's Holiday, which I right. just remember having seen as a child or as a teenager. And just having really loved it. I haven't seen it since, you know, but I really loved it. Uh, so, and I thought that's what we were going to So see. this was just a completely new experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, but I mean, you know how it is with memories. I mean, for the first 15 minutes, I thought, did I get it wrong? Are they, you know, does it start at the airport and then does it move to the beach? Or, you know, yeah. it's that kind of loose memory. Well, what I knew about it was the kind of stories around it. So famously, there was this enormous set built for the film, yes. which included the paved roads outside, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's in this kind of sort of dystopian, like future financial district slash city centre in Paris. It's very uh, impersonal, very detached. You know, you see the Eiffel Tower like twice. Once is at a great distance, and the other is as a reflection in a window of these great glass buildings. Like that kind of. That, that, that rich, you know, original Paris is a long way away from where the film is set. And I knew that this set cost an enormous amount of money, something like 17 million francs, right. which was something like three and a half million dollars at the time in right. 67. Well, 64 to 67. It took three years to film. There were financial problems. It ended up bankrupting uh, Jacques Tati, oh, right, basically okay. ruining him. And it was a financial failure. I don't know how it did critically. Um but financially, very, very badly. Mm. And I knew that it was about these kind of, these long takes that were very wide. It was shot on 70 mil um, so that the details would show up. So you, so, and they you know, do. 
you could see someone in the corner of the screen, someone in that corner of the screen, all this action happening at the same time, little jokes happening mm. in different parts of the frame, that sort of thing. So I was really looking forward to seeing all of that, and I think it works beautifully. What I didn't expect was um, the way that life kind of comes into the film mm. through the course of it. So it starts off... I, I'd heard it somewhere. I don't know if it was something that Tati said or something that a critic has said, that the film is about straight lines turning into curves. Ah, that's a very interesting way of putting it. So people um, kind of walk in straight lines, turn at sharp angles, obviously the buildings, that sort of thing, are um, uh, regimented there in these rows, and they're all identical. And as the film goes on, um, particularly during the course of the restaurant scene, which is probably the major part of the film, mm. um life kind of starts to emerge. People start dancing, people start getting drunk, chaos starts to emerge, mm. colour comes into the film. You know, for a long time it's it's greys and it's dark blues and dark greens and that's about as much colour as you get. And then people start wearing kind of bolder dresses and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and by the end, you get this carousel sort of merry-go-round thing out of that, that, that emerges out of a roundabout mm. that's, that's it's got gridlock traffic, that's moving very slowly... Um, the music really cues you in to get the joke that you know it's kind of yes. carnival music. <clears throat> there's there's kind of old people there with young kids and balloons like grandparents, grandchildren, all this kind of stuff. Someone selling ice cream. Actually, I got quite moved at the end oh, that really? all this life had kind of come into the film and it was so joyous. You see, I didn't like it really. Yeah, because I thought um, you know the film is anti-modernity. Right, so it begins with, you know, in an airport, and like you said, you know, then you go into a convention, and everything is straight lines and grey and rigid, and nothing modern works. The chairs are all like, you know, they make kind of semi-farting sounds, and, <laughs> you know, and so on, right? And at the very end of the film, and it's all full of foreigners, right? It's mm -hmm. all tourists and Germans. Lots of American tourists, Lots especially. of Americans. And at the end of the film, when you say, you know, it turns a curve, you know, which is true. I mean, I agree with everything you said. But the reason why I don't like it is because, you know, towards the end of the film, what you get is the old France back into the picture. The workmen with their wine and the flirting and the making passes of the women and, mm. you know, the stealing of the drinks and the, you know, working people you know, and the French chanson, you know, and the cheeses and the, yeah. Uh, and then actually, so at the beginning, the reflection is the Eiffel Tower. Towards the end, it's like uh, the Sacre Coeur, yeah. Mm. So, so I thought it was like a kind of a nostalgic thing. So life erupts really kind of when you get to the true France, the old France. That's interesting. So, you know, and I didn't like that. Do you think that, because I, I know what you mean, um... And I think if it were maybe that kind of relationship with the nationalism that that maybe evokes is something that you know I miss. And if and I say I miss, I mean I don't get because I'm not mm. French. Whereas if it was something, if it were British or English especially, you know I would feel that kind of reservation towards because you know when kind of English nationalism shows up, I'm pretty reticent about it. I don't know. think it's so much nationalism. I'm not sure I would put it that way. Okay, but it's a nostalgia for the past. Yeah. You know? Okay. You know, it's like the workers from the market and, yeah, you know, the the mm. the the men fixing the roads with the cement and the, 
yeah, uh, holes. Uh, manholes. I think, yeah, manholes, that's right. You know, that's what you see towards the end, right? All those working people in traditional jobs kind mm. of coming out. So I'm not sure it's purely like a nationalism. It's more like a nostalgia for the past, yeah. Yeah. And tradition and, you know. I mean, actually, all those workers at the end were like the equivalent of like, I don't know, London Cockneys <laughs> coming from Covent Garden, you know, to have a pint at the new whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it evoked for me. So it wasn't like a rara nationalism. It was just, you know, a nostalgia for the past or... You know, that kind of life is in tradition, and, you know, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but the soullessness, the soullessness of the beginning, which begins in an airport, moves to a convention center, and then the life at the end, which really starts in a nightclub, where nothing modern works, actually, and what keeps everything alive is traditional stuff that is handmade or that requires people. The music yeah. especially. The music, the singing, yeah. Everything mechanical or electronic is a failure. Mm. Everything about design is a failure, you know. So, and then kind of to move into, again, you know, that American drugstore cafe where all the food is soulless and everything is terrible until the workmen arrive. You know? Yeah. No, okay. I mean, so at the end, in the, in the carousel, scene let's call it yeah um you know that is that is this kind of life being brought out of modern um things modern modern imagery you know kind of modern cars modern traffic jams mm-hmm. um uh, you know kind of the crane mm-hmm. uh, turns into like a sort of you know so, like a ride basically yeah. so it evokes that um so do you think is that supposed to be or do you read that as a kind of synergy between the, the, the nostalgic and the modern or the, or, the, or the nostalgic kind of breaking through and overtaking it like life finds a way <laughs> I don't know I mean I actually I haven't thought I haven't thought of it the way that you yeah uh, that you put it uh, because I was just skipping that part I suppose <laughs> right because you know you see the people in, inside and then actually that very stylized traffic in a, going around and around, um, you know, I just thought, well, that's, you know, a tiny thing whilst the tourists are all going on the way to the airport. But now that you mention it, you know, it does have the only, um, the only aspects of modernity that seem fun, mm. right? You know, so the new cars, the Citroens, the motorcycles, yeah, kind of, you know, with couples in them, the vans with, uh, you know, sexy roller skaters mm. in the front. So it might be a moment of, of synthesis. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, but it's, it's... And it's clearly the culmination of the film. It's, you know, it's almost... Yeah, just before the end point where everything goes to the airport in darkness. I, I also kind of couldn't quite figure that out. Because I thought initially, how neat, it's 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. day. And then, as the bus goes to the airport, it's dark. And you think, well, actually, then that destroys my thesis that it's a day, right? It's a 24-hour <laughs> period, because all of a sudden now it's a day and a half, presumably. Yeah, we've uh, been through the night at the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't quite... And then the film gets progressively darker, doesn't it, as it gets near the airport. So I think I, it kind of cuts to a nighttime shot. 
That's, yeah. that's the impression. Maybe from like an evening shot to a nighttime shot. Yeah. You seem to cut quite quickly, and then it all just fades to black, and that's the end of the film. So I didn't quite get that. Right. Mm. I mean, I think um, I think I was expecting. You know, by the first half hour of the film, I was expecting so little that there were lots of things that made me laugh subsequently. They were they were unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Or a joke catches you by surprise. And actually, there are many clever jokes, and there are many uh, um, jokes that are cleverly filmed visually. Yes, this yeah. is what I wanted to bring up. There's a lot. There, there are kind of these visual puns mm. that occur, um, some of which I think have probably been seen before and seen since. You know, not mm. everything is necessarily original, but there's a there's a kind of cacophony of them. Um, there's one in the um, in the drugstore where the electronic sign says drugstore, and the letters are lit up individually, and then it breaks. And the guy's saying, no, like that one. No, move it over, move it over. And eventually the O lights up in drugstore. And that's above uh, a priest's head. It makes yes. it like a halo. Yeah. And it's just, and it's, there's nothing else to it. It's just yeah. a lovely little joke. Yeah. I think there's one where like a guy's locking a door at the bottom and the, and the handles make it look like horns on his head. Mm. Something like that. There's a really nice one, um, which again is really evocative of, of, some, of the kind of thing I've, I've seen a few times, where... In the scene, the long scene, where Monsieur Hulot goes to his friends, he like, meets an old friend and goes around to his apartment, and they're watching TV, and the TV's kind of built into the wall, and then you see the other character, who you see quite a lot, the girl. Mm. She's in the next apartment, and you're watching from outside, there's kind of, I mean, it's part of the image of, of modernity in the film, that there's transparency to everything. These are supposed to be private places, but they're right on a very busy street, mm. and they have curtains but they're not using them and you can see right in and see everything and you're and you're entirely outside looking in as a voyeur and and the TV seem to be back to back on this connecting wall and then the shot is held from side on so it hides the TVs and you just see the people on the left and the people on the right essentially watching each other through the TV that's the, that's the visual kind of mm. uh joke and you know, and so what happens on the right is responded to on the left. Like someone comes in with a broken nose, and everyone on the left goes, "Ooh," mm. you know. The bits. Like, I think um, one of the guys starts to undress on the left, and on the right they tell the daughter to uh, to go to her room because it's not for her. Mm. I think there's some really beautifully precise and interesting visual design. There's one joke that I loved. One of the first ones that I really laughed at, where in the kind of office building, Monsieur Lowe uh, visits at the start. You get to this floor where. It's um, it's shot from uh, sort of waist height, so you see these uh, this grid of filing cabinets, what appears to be, and then a little later you see the shot from a floor above, and you realise that these filing cabinets are actually cubicles that mm. people work in, mm. which is interesting, and also I think probably anticipates like the cubicle office by quite a few years. Mm. I think that's kind of an era to come, really. Um, and and when you're looking at this top down shot, there's this lovely bit where. Someone's on a phone call to someone in a cubicle, like three cubicles away, and you can see them both on the phone. And one of them says, "Can you get me the figures for such and such?" And so the other guy puts down the phone, runs to the cubicle that the guy is in, like, and on the outside it is a filing cabinet. So he takes out some document, runs back to his own cubicle, then gets on the phone and says, "Yeah, the figures are blah blah blah." And it's like he could have just done that. It was on his cubicle. Yeah, I, I love that sort of comic, cartoony, manic. Yes. Thing. And the, the film has a lot of that going on. There's yeah. some very beautiful joke design. Yeah, the cartoony aspect, uh, for sure. But you never thought that there was anything at stake for the character. Like, nobody was ever really in any danger. Oh, no, that's true. Or 
Um, you know what struck me most, actually, that until the end where, you know, a worker makes a pass and the girl says, no, mm. you know, that there is not even a suggestion of sex anywhere in the film. No. Well, I think that kind of goes along with the, the, the films uh, up until they start dancing. And dancing is kind of inherently sexual to some degree. Um, I, I didn't even find that. But, but I, I agree, kind of, even then, probably not. But certainly up until then, when things are really meant to be, I think, you mm. know, at their most impersonal. And um, and kind of disaffected or what have you, then there's no there's no real sense of connection of any sort, including sex. Yeah, I know. I just thought it was weird. Like, I mean, yeah. not in necessarily in a bad way. Right. I just thought it's. Uh, I can't think of another film where you know there's not even a suggestion of sex. You know, for most of it. Yeah, that's kind of. Yeah. Can you? I mean, I mean probably children's films. Uh, <laughs> I, okay. know, I know. Well, you, I know. You're I mean, that. you know. Let's keep children's films out of it, though. Even there, I would. Uh, you know, yeah. we'd have to talk about specifics. But you know, it's hard to think of a film not for children. It's it, that yeah. is that has almost no, uh, not even a soupçon of sex. Of it's chase. sex. Um, so yeah. I just thought that was. And not, and not like conspicuously so. Like it's not like sex kind of shows up and is shunned. It's just not there. It's just not there. Yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. Um, That's interesting. So, um, I did very much like the whole look of the film. Mm. I think it's amazing, right? Like, So, actually, I was very interested in your saying that it was shot in 70mm because once you mention it, you can see it, mm. right? Kind of, the image is big and it's clear, you know. But also, the shot designs are so interesting. It's all on planes, yeah? Mm. And at angles and so on. It looks smashing, you know? I just thought that it was kind of sterile, really, you know, for for the first part. And you think, okay, it's meant to be sterile. But actually, that doesn't make watching it any, sorry, mm. any more um, appealing, yeah? That kind of, you know, you could kind of give the impression of a sterile culture or environment and not make the viewing of it sterile, which I thought it was for the beginning. Mm. I know what you mean, but I gave it a lot of time to breathe, I guess, because, well, my expectations of it were certainly different to yours, yes. because I was I knew to a degree what I was getting in for. You thought you were seeing a completely different I film. Thought I, seeing, I thought I was seeing a more um, charming, lighter comedy. Yeah, exactly, which is not what this is. Um, so um, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the restaurant scene, because that is the centerpiece, right? Yeah. Of... Um, the film. I mean, it last, must last about an hour or something, right? I think it's getting towards that. It's basically like the bulk of the second half of the film, and yeah. it's a two-hour film. And it's set in a gourmet restaurant that has just opened. It's you know the most modern of modern, uh, and you know as the scenes unfold, you see that nothing works. Yeah, that actually you know nobody's really looking after the customers. Uh, some fish gets reheated like 55 times and resalted, <laughs> and you know, and so on. And the chairs are so badly designed that they leave marks on people. Uh, you know, the, the lights don't work, the heating doesn't work. Uh, you know, so all that's meant to be modern and wonderful about it that you press a button and it does something, falls apart, which is, you know, I, I know, I mean. Chaplin did that in modern times to a degree, mm. except that this is all obviously much more modern and streamlined and so on. So I thought all of that had very good gags, actually. Um, you know, and it was a, it was fun to watch. And the music, um, you know, kind of uh, heated up, uh, 
you know, the scenes, right? So it, it had samba music for half of it, and then American jazz music, and then it became French chanson. Um, so, so that had a kind of like a different energy, uh, and all of the characters that you, or most of the characters that you'd met up to that point reappear in all of this, yeah, or they all mm. converge. Um, so, and it has a, a lot of really good jokes. I love the bit where, you know, even the airplane is melting in the heat and then, yeah. you know, as the air conditioning goes up, it kind of straightens out. Um, I just thought there weren't enough gags, you know? Oh, I, I do kind of know what you mean. Like at one point, in fact, that airplane bit with the little airplane model that, that I thought, oh, that's an airplane joke as in from the film airplane. Not that it's from it, but like there are bits that it really made me think of that that kind of comic sensibility. Mm. And then I was thinking, you know, could you say about this the way people say about airplane? The, the could you think about the race of jokes that it has? People, mm. that's what people tend to think about when they think about yes. airplane. If you don't like a joke, another one comes along five seconds later. This is not like that. This is not like that. Um, but I really think it's about the sensibility and the mood, um, which I really like. And in fact, when you said that you felt there was nothing at stake for the characters. Um, you know, I kind of think, well, it's not... It's not that it's not about the characters. You do recognise particularly these two, Monsieur Hulot and the girl, as they kind of inhabit the same scenes throughout the film and eventually they uh, kind of start interacting and he buys her a gift at the end. Um, so, you know, clearly it's kind of their experience of this, but it's it's that classic comedy comedy thing of, you know, you either have a weird guy in a normal world or a normal guy in a weird world. Like mm. A lot of comedy setups can kind of be reduced to that to some mm. degree. This is very much normal guy in a weird world. Monsieur Except that's the problem, because it's not a weird world. It's just a modern world. But it's not, though. Like, it is comically dystopian, I think. You know, it is exaggerated. And, and, and Monsieur Lowe is stumbling around, confused by, you know, what's... Like, like right at the start, you know, um, he's going in for what appears to be some kind of meeting in this office. And the elderly uh, sort of guard slash concierge um, says, "Okay, just sit there, sit there." And the shot shows Monsieur Lowe on the one side, and the other side is this very long hall. And down the hall, you hear footsteps, and you see this guy. He's very, very small. And Monsieur Lowe's going, "Okay, I can get up and go and see him." He's like, "No, no, just sit there, sit there." And this guy's taking forever to walk towards the camera, and it's just this like absurdity that you know we know the guy's there. He's going to take forever to get here. And this weirdness is what Monsieur Lowe is sort of saying, okay, but I can just go and see him. You know, you don't have to take this much time. And the concierge is going, no, 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 it's fine, just sit there. This is how we do things. He goes into the into the um, meeting room and it's this kind of fish tank, you know, with just glass walls uh, where everyone can see in. And he's trying to sit on the chairs and the chairs will make a different noise. And he's he's found himself somehow within this world or version of the world that he doesn't get and okay. there, and there's stuff that we would find weird too like the joke is he is the normal guy experiencing the weird stuff well maybe i mean i i wouldn't have found it so weird you know so <laughs> so for example one of you know i because it is modern cubicles it is a modern airport it is modern gift shops that you recognize yeah so maybe you know um there's but that there's a, but there's a kind of detachment to, to the behavior and that sort of thing that is how can I say it better than detachment? Like, you know, you just, you don't respond to it. It's not human. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so for example, you know, there's a bit at the end where um, he has to go through a turnstile after buying the present. Yeah. And he mistakes one 
turnstile, which is just a whole bunch of pots with the same handle. And so he leaves that way and he's made to return back for no reason at all <laughs> to go through the proper turnstile, right? And of course, you know, there's people in front of the turnstile and, you know, he's running out of time and so on. To me, that's the equivalent of like computer says no jokes, right? Like, yeah, you know. Um, but on those computer says no jokes about the absurdity of, because the thing is, the computer says no joke in Little Britain is, it's not that the computer, it's the, it's the insistence of the woman who sits behind the computer that computer says no and that's all and you can't get through and it's like the it's just how do you communicate with this person why are you behaving like this yes it makes no sense you know what I mean yeah so so but that is the film right it's, it's the modern world that makes no sense to Monsieur Lowe though actually I don't find it strange at all <laughs> well I think it may be you've got I, I, I do wonder to what degree this anticipates uh, some tropes and imagery that maybe we're very used to today yes you know Yes, that's hard to say. It really. is. Um, so uh, maybe I have to know. leave that one unanswered for the time being. Yeah, mm. I. Um, I'm glad I saw it, and it was funny. Um, if somebody were to say to me, "This is the work by one of the greatest directors of all time," I would say, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be. Yeah, I it is. Of, I think considered his masterpiece. Yes. Um, and he only made six feature films, yes. I think, over a sort of quite a long career. I don't know if he had like kind of constant financial troubles or anything like that during his career, but this is certainly the film that seemed to finish him. Yes. Um, well, I can understand why it finished him. Yeah. You know, um, I think I can't understand why it's considered, uh, you know, a masterpiece. Um, I, I think I can. I mean, there's, there's a, a great deal of care... In, in the design and the execution oh, that, of everything. Oh, no, that and, we can agree And on. the ambition, the scale of the sets and the imagery and that sort of thing. Care oh. and ambition, yes. You know. Um, but I think it has something to say. I think, I, and I think it says it quite eloquently. I, it says it with lots of good jokes. And it made me feel at the end, which I really didn't expect from a film that starts off so you know, dystopian and detached, mm. the way it does. I didn't expect that... Uh, the culmination of the music and the imagery at the end to, to make me feel... Well, I mean, his films are always gentle. I mean, the, one of the things that struck me was, you know, that there's no joke at anybody's expense. Mm. Yeah, you could have made the Germans really nasty and instead, you know, they become the jovial, kind host of the party at the end, right? Mm. You know, you could have made the Americans really a nasty butt of a lot of jokes and he doesn't do that either. No, yeah. to um, a degree he does. I mean, there is something interesting or something very fun. gentle joke. Yes, it is. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's like anti-American, um, or it, but I do like that. There's a gentle, you know, kind of running thing of how the Americans are constantly getting off buses and being kind of shooed around. Yes. And so I, I kind of like the idea, um, which really fits in with the kind of the loss of old France kind of thing, um, that you know these Americans have just arrived and they're invading the the, the restaurant. They say, oh, no, 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 t- tourists. Uh-huh. Oh, there is that. <laughs> No, they've just arrived off the off the airplane at the start, and they get bussed into the city. And the first place they go is this trade expo with just products from like Philips and American yes. companies, <laughs> like, rather than rather than the Eiffel Tower. I know, yeah. but you see, I'm, and all these jokes. So the, one of the jokes that I pointed out to you is that in, at the airport, or it might be a travel agency or something, they have posters from Mexico's. 
Stockholm, mm. you know. And actually, they all feature the same modern building in the poster, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, kind of, all these places are the same. Modernity is ruining everything. You can't tell Mexico from Stockholm, you know. Actually, that became an advert or an advert concept in Mad Men for Hilton, I think. I forget exactly what the thing was, but it was along the lines of Hilton's always there, no matter where you are. We always see the same hotel yes. in the image. Yes. Um, so, like that, you know, in Mad Men. It's for that thing. episode, it was turned to this positive. Yes, it's a reassurance. Know. But for of course, in the film, it's absolutely not that. Yeah, I really liked in the trade expo the German company with the silent doors. <laughs> it was a slam your doors in golden silence. Yeah, is the thing. And then you get, which I thought this is such a good joke. So you slam the door, and they just mute the sound. They don't put a sound effect in. It's wonderful. So it's genuinely silent. So people leave in a huff, but can't. Yeah, they don't make a noise. <laughs> And then the, the, the CEO thinks that someone's been through his desk. He's told that someone's been through his desk. Thinks it's Mr. Hulot. And so he starts having a go at him, shouting at him. Um, and he says, look at this technology. It's state of the art. And he's holding like a binder in his hand. And he throws it to the ground. And that doesn't make a noise either. <laughs> I really loved it. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I mean, it's a film that's hard to dislike. Yeah. It is kind of very uh, gentle. It's, it's, you know, it's humorous. Uh, it looks smashing, you know. I just didn't really take to it. Can you think of films that you could compare it to? Or do you think it's, you know? Well, I suppose, you know, a film that deals with um, what to me I seems similar themes is something like Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. Yeah? Mm. And if you think about that... I mean, that has, like, one glorious scene after another. Chaplin being stuck in the, mm. you know, in the mechanisms in the factory. Or, you know, the, the, the assembly line. Or roller skating yeah. in the department store. I mean, you know, I, I, to me, this has nothing like that. I don't think this has any individual moment like that. But I, I love the construction of these long scenes. It's, like, probably five or six overall scenes in the film almost like vignettes you move from one to the next mm. and the way that they the way that you kind of some of them you move through like the, like the trade expert doesn't really develop you move through it mm. um, and you kind of notice things happening you have these little interactions with different booths but then the restaurant scenes obviously you start off and you lead to somewhere else that mm. scene develops the, mm. the, the carousel scene develops mm. um, and I, I, I think it's beautifully orchestrated and like right at the start you really get the sense of of the, the kind of there's a plan behind everything. The way the timing of people moving in, things gradually getting busier. It's very conscious of rhythms. It's very conscious of placement of people. Mm. Everything is really carefully worked through. Um, you know, one could make a joke and say, and yet it's lifeless, but that's not <laughs> even true. It's not that. I think for me, the main problem is it's a kind of experimental film in a way, right? You know, but it's feature length. And so what happens is that you have a protagonist, but you don't have a hero or a character. Yeah, and you have a film, but actually you don't have a story. Yeah, so, yeah. I so, do know what so, you mean about not having a story, but I, know I didn't have a problem with that at all. I thought this is the situation. We're following these people through a situation. I didn't feel the lack of, you know, um, of a character's goals or wants or needs. You know, I kind of, I, I really enjoyed being like Monsieur Lowe in this world, discovering it, experiencing mm. it. Yes. Um, well, I didn't mind, you know, and I, I kind of, I gave myself to it, you know, mm. 
uh, a quarter of the way through, but it did take me a while, and it might take me a while more to think, but actually right now, as a moment of reflection, I just think the film doesn't have a payoff. <laughs> you know, I think you, you're right in saying it's ambitious and so on, you know, but I, I, at least in terms of, you know, the experience of watching it, you know, which was fine, but not, you know, overwhelming. And then actually the process of thinking about it afterwards, which is not giving me enough either, right? I mean, mm. you know, what I can get out of it is this thesis on modernity, you know, um, and, and, and that's not enough for me, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's a film to live with a little bit. Yeah. Because um, in a sense, I have been living with the idea of it for a long time and mm. just held off watching it. Well, I clearly <laughs> have had the wrong idea for a so, long time. Because, <laughs> you know, the first moment that it came in, it was almost like I was gleeful with anticipation, <laughs> right? So you have that experimental music that begins the film. Yes. And then, oh, oh, this is so daring. You know, and then the colours come out, playtime. I think, oh, this is going to be so joyful, right? Because there's <laughs> this yellow and blue and red, I think. Right, that mark out the letters playtime. I think, oh, this is going to be such fun. And then you have gray, 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 gray. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know. I'd be uh, really keen to see some contemporary reviews of it, though. To see, kind of, because I, I do wonder how much of it, as I say, is, is imagery and, and tropes that we are really used to now. How much of it actually was quite original at the time. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I really don't know. I mean, my impression, and I don't know where I get it, is that it was badly received, yeah? Mm. And, you know, that the reviews were mixed, but it, but also it had some neg- very negative reviews. Um, you know, and he, he had been somebody who, as you said at the beginning, had made very little films, but had made very, very successful films. Yeah. Right? So, um, you know, this, this uh, yeah, this was not a success. Looking at Wikipedia on his page, it has a kind of bit for each film. Um, trying to see if it has uh, anything on on the reception of Playtime. It says Playtime was a critical success. Francois Truffaut praised it as quote a film that comes from another planet where they make films differently. But that's the only uh. Um, uh, sense you get of how it was received at the time. And then yes. you get a, and then well, there's a, a very good line, which <laughs> still applies. And then there's a bit about um, how, in many years later, um, other directors and other critics um, call it one of the greatest films of all time. Right. Um, Yeah. But, see, the reason that I ask um, what films could you compare it to is because, obviously, there are many, many films that share its themes and ideas. Mm. Um... But, you know, there are very few that I could say, oh, if you liked this, you'll like Playtime. Mm. I think it really does share a kinship with um, silent comedy. There's no question about that. I mean, the film is largely wordless and almost all the comedy is visual. Uh, Let Um, let me read you this from Roger Ebert, uh, which is interesting. So Jacques Tati's Playtime, like 2001 A Space Odyssey or The Blair Witch Project or Russian Ark, is one of a kind, complete in itself, a species already extinct at the moment of its birth. <laughs> Even Monsieur Hulot, Tati's alter ego, seems to be wandering through it by accident. Instead of a plot, it has a cascade of incidents. Instead of central characters, it has a cast of hundreds. Instead of being a comedy, it is a wondrous act of observation. It occupies no genre and does not create a new one. 
It is a filmmaker showing us how his mind processes the world around him. <laughs> it's an influence on the terminal uh, for which uh, Steven Spielberg built a vast set of a full-scale airline terminal. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, Playtime is Jonathan Rosenbaum's favorite film, and unlike many of its critics, he doesn't believe it's about urban angst or alienation. In a lovely passage, he writes, it directs us to look, at, to look around at the world we live in, the one we keep building, then at each other, and to see how funny that relationship is and how many brilliant possibilities we still have in a shopping mall world that perpetually suggests otherwise. To look and see that there are many possibilities and that the play between them, activated by the dance of our gaze, can become a kind of comic ballet, one that we both observe and perform. That's kind of... Isn't that nice? Yeah, it's very beautifully put, actually. Mm. Um, So, yeah. There's a short film, which is the only thing that really springs to mind as as something I've seen that's very similar to this. Um, A short film by an Irish filmmaker and artist called David O'Reilly. It's called The External World, and it's it's online, it's on YouTube, I think, and on Vimeo and whatever. It's 17 minutes long, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's an animation. I mean, we talked about this having a kind of cartoony comic aspect. The jokes... And a kind of design of the world mm. in the external world are much more overtly uh, kind of comicy and cartoony, um, but it ha- it shares this idea of like it, you see this enclosed space. You actually get these um, these shots from the sky. It's also it's all animated and computer generated, and you see these shots from the sky of the city, and only the bits of the city that you see, the centre, are coloured in. Everything outside is just white and blank. Like you just you really get the sense of just being in the middle of this place, and you just follow around a few different people, a few different different characters, um, as they kind of explore the world. Some of them are living within the world and get it, and they're part of it. Some of them, like Monsieur Lo, are looking at it kind of from the outside, going, "What's going on here?" Mm. And it culminates in this very beautiful um, uh, piano recital scene where. Um, all of the characters that you've seen and and enjoyed show up to see, and they all kind of, you know, as you said, commune, congregate in this place, and just beautiful piano piece. But it's beautiful, so mm. I really recommend that. This is like a seven. This is like a seventeen-minute version, mm. more colourful, of Playtime. Yes, really worth watching. Yes, I think Playtime would have been better a little shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it though. I thought it was great. Good. Uh, I'm glad I, was, I waited so long to watch it in the right mood and setting. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to think about it uh, some more. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. definitely not my favourite film. So <laughs> I, I loved it. Um, and I really recommend it. And there's not a lot you'll see that is very much like it, I don't think. Yes, I recommend it. I think, you know, it is a very interesting film. Um, and I did enjoy it, actually. Um but yeah <laughs> okay. there you go alright well um, thank you very much for listening we're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud YouTube Google Amazon I think our social media is Facebook and Twitter at eavesdrop movies uh, and our website is eavesdropping at the movies dot com thank you very much au revoir au revoir <laughs> <laughs> oh you're, you're multilingual <laughs> <laughs>